Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the many gifts that you've given your people and how the liturgy, the music, our voices can help remind us of what your word tells us is true about you and about who we are in you. Fathers, we come to this remarkable chapter in Daniel near the end of this book. We're so thankful for what you have shown us so far. I'm so thankful for the way it has encouraged our hearts and our minds, our bodies, our soul as we've been on this journey for a while. But Lord, what we hear today, what we see today is so much greater than we can imagine. So much beyond what our minds can comprehend. And so Father, please call Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to live in this real hope, this resurrection hope, that we might be made different daily as we wait for your return or the moment you would call us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're in the last chapter of Daniel. Next Sunday will be the last sermon in this series. And we come to this remarkable place where this vision that Daniel has received has gone on for a number of chapters. And then it comes to this place where what he hears, what he sees is really remarkable. It's very remarkable in that it points to a real hope, a, a resurrection hope that is true for all of God's people. So often we think about the bodily resurrection being something that is just a New Testament teaching. But as you'll see here, it was promised long before. It is a great promise for the people of God. So beginning at Daniel 12, verse 1 through verse 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and, the, and knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The sermon this morning is going to be a little bit shorter because of the way we're going to end the service. We're going to end the service with a beautiful liturgy and singing. And the reason is because our response to what God shows us as to who he is and what he has done so that we can live forever calls us to just fall down and praise. For many of us who've grown up in the church or grown up in the Bible Belt, Christianity can easily just become a worldview. And it is a worldview. But it's the only worldview that points you to the living God, who is the one who has called you to himself. 
Someone once asked me, Mark, what is it that has drawn you to Christianity? There's only one answer, Christ himself. That's the true answer for all who are in Christ. You did not choose Jesus. I did not choose Jesus. I would never have seen Christianity versus another religion and say, yes, this is better based on these ethics. It's much greater than that. It definitely has ethics. Their ethics are great, they're the word of God, but it's more than that. It is God himself drawing his people to himself. So why was I drawn to Christianity? Because God himself drew me to himself. Why, if you're in Christ, have you been drawn to Christianity? For the very same reason. Someone then said, so what makes you stay with Christianity? God makes me stay with Christianity. It's called perseverance of the saints. It's the promise that all who are truly in Christ will remain in Christ through all eternity. And only those who are truly in Christ will persevere to the end. How do we know then if we're in Christ? Well, there's been a moment in our life where we've professed faith in Jesus. And then there is the evidence of this perseverance at work. Not perfection, but fruit. Not perfection, but fruit. Fruit that shows that we are living in an abiding relationship with Jesus. But for many, Christianity is not much more than a list a checklist of how to have a better life, how to have a more fruitful life, how to have a, a better ethic, and it's more than that. Some of you have entered into 2022, and every year, because you love resolutions, you like change, you like bettering yourself, you make commitments. Some of you do it spiritually, like I'm gonna start the one-year Bible, or I'm gonna do a reading plan, and that's wonderful, you should. Persevere in that. It sometimes gets a little hard about February 15th. You're getting into the parts of the Old Testament that sometimes feels a little bit like drinking dirt. It's just not very exciting. Persevere through that. It's God's word. Some of you do that with physical fitness. You are so annoying to the people who are faithful to fitness all year long because now you're in their way. You're at their gym. You're making their bench sweaty. You're causing them to take longer. Persevere. Keep doing it. Some of you have been to the container store thinking that this is the year. An organized closet will change my life. It might help. But Christianity can easily become something just like that. I'll just check the boxes of these things. I've been a Christian. I'm in my 40th year of following Jesus. 40th year. Most of those years I've been in some form of ministry or another. Long before I was ordained, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. I was leading Young Life Clubs, all sorts of things. So I've been to a lot of conferences. I've been to a lot of places where I've seen thousands of Christians gather and the word is taught, the worship is wonderful. But often, attached to it, there is a market. There is a place where you can go and buy all sorts of things. And this is where, and I don't want you to be cynical, but this is where you can see how Christianity can come, become something that's just consumeristic. There are all sorts of things that you can buy. There are bracelets. There are books. There are bumper stickers. I remember at a conference in St. Louis where a group of people were selling something called abstinence perfume. <laughs> yeah. They were concerned about young people's purity. That's a good thing. 
And if you buy our product, it will help. And I was like, well, how does it smell? Does it deter people? Is that the point? It was awful. And I'm sorry if you invested in that or if you used it. But the point is, we so often reduce Christianity to just a list. Some of you, every Sunday, are like, just give me three points. Give me five steps. Let me do this so I can be a better believer. I love books. I'm glad we have a great bookstore. I love Logos. I love the people that run that bookstore. But Christianity is not primarily just checking a list of things. Yet so often that's what we do. And we get sucked into this idea that if you just pray this way or pray this prayer, remember the prayer of Jabez? Remember how that swept? And I'm not saying it was a bad thing even. I'm just simply saying those things have their time. What Daniel is telling us is he's hearing this from the Lord is that the people of God are going to persevere. They are going to win ultimately because of Christ's victory. But it's going to be a difficult journey. And so this morning, you are about to hear great, great, great news. But in order to understand how great it is, we have to be honest about what God's word says about how bad it will be. Now, look at the text. Verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, hear this sentence. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Daniel had been in exile a long time. And he had consistently stood firm. And he consistently took action. But now the people of God for the past few years have been going back to the homeland. And yet the rebuilding of their place was very difficult. It was littered with conflict with other nations, other governments. It was hard. And Daniel's at a place where he's, he's wondering what is going to happen. And it's not happening the way many people thought it would. And that's still true today. We do not know when Christ is going to return. We only know that he will. We also know that he said no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. But he will return. Between that, we know that times are going to be hard. They're going to be hard worldwide. And they're going to be hard personally. Ian Duguid, a professor at Westminster Seminary, is written a wonderful commentary that's been a great friend to me over these last several months and Paul as we've prepared these sermons. It's been rich. But I think he describes something in Daniel 12 that we need to hear. He writes, we inhabit a world where church services may be interrupted by crazed gunmen who shoot to kill. I didn't read this yesterday or this morning. I read it a month ago. But it's a reality. All eyes were on our city, on Colleyville. All, all places in the world were watching. What's going to happen in this situation? It could happen. We do everything we can as a church to protect plainclothes officers, clothed officers in uniform. 
But we know that that's a reality. We live in a world where children are abused. We live in a world where cancer ravages the body of believers as well as unbelievers, leaving them in excruciating pain for which they have no answer or no reason. I remember a year ago, every day, receiving texts from Tim Tinsley, and every text was just excruciating except for the faith that he had in Christ. But there were no answers as to why. The effects of dysfunctional childhoods and long-standing sinful patterns of behavior continue to bear their bitter fruit in ourselves and in our marriages and families. Even after we have followed Christ for many years, the struggles continue. We find obedience to God's law hard while sin is constantly attractive, and we cry out for a cure. We rightly agonize over these signs of the powerful work of the beast in our world, seeking to wreck and destroy everything that is good, noble, and pure. And the book of Daniel never assumes that we would find living in a world like this easy. On the contrary, the book of Daniel will frequently see us crying out, how long, O oh Lord? Where are you? What are you doing? Why are your people dying and despairing? Why are they not prospering and victorious? How long do you think that we can hold on? These are the questions that Daniel 12 seeks to answer. But here's the problem. So often for a church like ours, a city like ours, is that we, because there's so much diligence, giftedness, strength in flesh, we tend to think in this age that everything we face is fixable. There is a pervasive air of pragmatic optimism in our society, born out of a generation steeped in the notion that if every morning you just repeat this saying, in every way and every day, I'm getting better and better, you surely will. It's like the journal I joked about last week, no bad days. Really, that's not the gospel. I don't care if it's on a bumper sticker, or on a coffee mat, or on your bracelet. God never promised this side of heaven to take us out of the pain. He promised, though, to give us himself. And he promised that one day for all who are in Christ, we would have no more pain. I'll get to that great news in a minute. But what happens is so often we let Christianity become just another part of something we consume. Our problem is that we have been trained to believe that someone out there has the answer that will fix what's wrong. Only God can fix what's wrong. Yes, we can get better. Yes, we can bring justice to places where there's injustice. Yes, we can seek to love our neighbor and love our enemies. But at the core of what's broken, only God can do that work. Do Good writes, this is true on a national and a global scale as well as personal. Whether the problem is global warming or world poverty or dictatorial and oppressive governments, we think we can fix it. 
Perhaps we don't have the solutions to all the world's problems worked out yet, but just give us a few more years and we will surely figure it out. This attitude is equally prevalent on both ends of the, of the political spectrum. Now, what I'm about to read wasn't written in the last 12 months or 24 months, many years ago. Duguid writes this, political liberals generally think that a little more government money and intervention will solve the world's problems, while political conservatives think that a little more capitalism and personal freedom will do the trick. The idea that evil is intractable and powerful with deep roots and sharp claws, and that no amount of education, activism, or democratic reform will ever eliminate it is distinctly countercultural. And so if we believe that it's that dark, if it's that powerful, if the beast is that strong, if the claws are that sharp, we of all people should actually live fearlessly. Because we recognize that all we would seek to do, and we should stand firm and take action, we should recognize that no matter what happens, there is going to be a history fulfilled that God's in control of. Don't misunderstand me. Take action. Stand firm. Seek to fix all that is broken. But understand this. Daniel did that. Daniel stood firm. Daniel took action. And what he is hearing from the Lord now is, Daniel, and there's more evil days to come. Our solutions are not going to be found in the flesh. They're going to be found only in Christ. He then writes, the same attitude of pragmatic optimism has affected evangelical churches as well. Encouraged by well-meaning Christian counselors and Christian political action committees, we too have come to believe that whatever is broken, we can fix. Just buy this book, vote for this politician, come to these meetings, or pray this prayer, and everything will turn out well. I'm going to tell you, I know people who have done all of that, and they have rebellious children at times are in the midst of what seems like the greatest victory an individual's diagnosed with a terminal disease. Or what seemed like a triumphant understanding of prayer suddenly is tested by a spirit of depression and dread that you've never known. These things happen. And if we're going to understand how great the good news is, we have to have a picture, a vision of reality. And that's what Daniel was receiving. If we're not careful, the Christian message becomes this. You too can be slim, healthy, and sin-free in six weeks by following these simple steps. I promise you, if I wrote a book like that and put it in our bookstore, they'd be flying off the shelves. But the applause in hell for that book would be greater than the applause in heaven. It's not the gospel. We have reduced sanctification and spiritual victory to a technique to be learned and mastered, almost like a golf swing. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not a simple list of steps. It is following a God 
who is in complete control, who if you're in Christ has drawn you to himself. Daniel hears something that you would be tempted to think was only in the New Testament, and that's this. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. This is God's word. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Okay, my name is written in the book. And I did nothing to deserve that. God didn't look at my life at 15 and see me now at 55 and say, there's going to be more good than bad. Put his name in the book. My name was written in the book, as is all who are in Christ from all eternity. Therefore, the news that I'm about to finish with before we sing, this great news should always overwhelm believers because you did not deserve it. And neither did I. And God in his grace opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And then we discover our name is written in the book as we profess faith in Christ. Some of you might discover that today. If you don't know Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ and you are frightened by not knowing him and you long to know him, simply pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, rescue me. Save me. And if you do that today, tell somebody that you think has done the same thing. Or come and see me or Tommy or Paul or one of our other pastors. This is what it means to be in Christ. And we should, as those in Christ, be confident that he will deliver us. But we have to know and have a vision of reality first. The times between now and when Christ's return are going to be hard, globally and personally. God said as much. He told Daniel as much. But we fix our eyes, not on that reality. We fix our eyes on a vision of hope, a promise of real hope, a resurrection hope. So then Daniel hears this. And many of those, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In other words, there's a double resurrection. There's the resurrection of the dead who are not in Christ, who will spend eternity separated from God in eternal condemnation. And then there will be the resurrection of those who are in Christ. This is the great news. If you're in Christ, you've been saved from that. And for all eternity, we are going to be in the presence of the living God. So this is what happens. When a person dies who is in Christ, their soul immediately goes into the presence of Christ. Life does not stop. There is not this period of drifting and wondering. Immediately, when Tim Timsley sent me his last text, and died just a couple of days later. When he breathed his last, his soul immediately went into the presence. His body is still here. But one day, one day, when Christ returns, when glorification takes place, all who are in Christ are going to have their physical body resurrected. 
Literally, your physical body will be perfected and your body will rise. And that body will be a body that is imperishable, a body that is powerful, a body that is no longer going to decay, a body that can't become diseased, a body that's not going to wake up and say, ah, mornings are tough. It's a body unlike any body that you and I can even imagine. And Christ Jesus is the example of the first fruits of that. Well, how do I know? Because God's word points us to that truth. Here in Daniel 12, one of the clearest expressions in the Old Testament and later in the New. Just listen to this. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We need to love mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the moral puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And most often you hear this at funerals and during Holy Week, so hear it today. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, stand firm, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Take action, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christianity is about the living God doing something that you and I can barely begin to comprehend. And we can only barely begin to comprehend it because of his grace and showing it to us. When you say, I am saved, when you say, my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, you are saying that the God who created everything, who upholds the world by the word of his power, has done all that is necessary so I can live forever in him. You have nothing to fear. Neither do I. But frightening things are going to come our way. And there will be moments where you feel like we are losing. This makes no sense. And that's why we have to have our eyes fixed on the end. On the promise that there will be a time when all of God's people will be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. And when Christ returns, 
and the glorification begins. All who are in Christ, their body, our bodies are gonna be resurrected. As we close our service, we're gonna move through a litany of the gospel from the book of Daniel to the book of Revelation. And we're gonna sing, as I do, consider this, as I close this in prayer, are you confident your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? If today you want to know, then pray as I pray for Christ to save you. If today you know, you know you're his, remember this, Christianity is not simply a worldview for you to check the boxes to have a little more peace, a little more confidence, a little more ethic. It is the story of God, the Father, demonstrating his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All who are in Christ, we win. And that victory is forever. Lord Jesus, in a few minutes, we will rise and lift our voices together. And God, I pray that you would cause us to not imagine ourselves as an audience, but as worshipers, those who have been saved, those who have been redeemed, who are being sanctified, who are waiting for that moment when Christ returns. One day, whether you've returned yet or not, Jesus, all who are in Christ, will see you face to face. And one day, joined with our resurrected bodies for all eternity, we will be in your presence. No more tears. No more hunger. No more thirst. Father, would you swell that truth in our hearts right now, changing us even now for your glory's sake and our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.